What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to this edition of B Shafe Daily Live. Is tonight we're talking a Cardinals win, and those have been a little more familiar recently, haven't they, Cardinals fans? Four wins in a row for the Cardinals as they've won the first two games of this series against the Nationals in Washington, D.C. That coming on the heels of a couple of wins to cap off the series in New York. Four games in a row the Cardinals have won. I've got it showing on the screen right now, and though I don't, man, I'm dumb. Uh, should be showing now on the screen the standings in the NL Central, which still have the Cardinals, uh, well, with a, a bit of a, a road to hoe, as they say. Cardinals still in last place, but they're 12 games below 500. That's better than it had been. The Cincinnati Reds, you might notice their column 10-0 and 0 in their last 10. That's going to be a problem. I've been, I mean, I've been on that train for a little while now talking about the Reds as a dangerous threat. Um, Milwaukee came back to win tonight against, uh, who were they playing? I think the Diamondbacks. That would have been a nice one for the Cardinals to get because you got to pass all these teams eventually. But for right now, I think it's more than anything else about the Cardinals just taking care of the business that they can handle. And uh, they're doing that right now. You can only play who you're scheduled to play and you can only beat who you're scheduled to face. And the Cardinals have been able to do that four days in a row. What's everybody feeling tonight about the St. Louis Cardinals? Get those comments in on this live chat. Subscribe to the B-Shape Daily uh, channel. It's really just the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. That's my channel. Been talking a lot of Cardinals baseball here all season long. We are uh, developing a nice little community, which has been a lot of fun. If you'd like to be a part of that, I'd love to have you. And so all you got to do is subscribe to the channel here. Like this stream. You don't technically have to do that part, but it's nice to do it. We count the likes as we go along on this show. And then join in the live chat. Let me know that you're here and that you're new. If, if uh, this is your first time joining in, I'd love to know that and uh, get you in and get you welcome. So thank you guys for being here. I'm really just going to give a quick little recap of this game. Uh, basically just talking Dylan Carlson because he hits two home runs tonight coming on the heels of a period where we kind of wondered how much playing time Dylan Carlson's actually going to see moving forward with Lars Newpar back off the injured list. We've uh, talked about it on B-Shape Daily the last couple of days how Dylan could get squeezed out if they continue to play Tommy Edmond in center, if they continue to play uh, Paul DeYoung at shortstop. Dylan Carlson could be the guy that, that gets squeezed a little bit. But with a lefty on the mound tonight against the Cardinals and Mackenzie Gore, thought maybe we'd see Dylan back in there. We talked about that possibility last night. Sure enough, it happened, and sure enough, he showed out with a couple of home runs, uh, really pacing the Cardinals in this 9-3 win. Wasn't just him that had good offensive days for St. Louis, uh, of course, Paul DeYoung with the garbage time home run makes it a little more difficult to to sort of talk against him that maybe he should give some of that playing time to Carlson. But with both those guys going well, that's something the Cardinals can appreciate and, and would certainly hope can continue as the season goes along. But Goldsmith had a nice day. Really important to see Wilson Contreras with a three-hit day. That's, I mean, that veteran in the middle of the lineup. And obviously, it seems uh, the way Ollie Marmel has done things, he's going to stay in the middle of the lineup it's absolutely critical to get him going and, and get that consistently. As we've seen, maybe Arenado tail off a little bit. We know that Nolan Gorman has tailed off a little bit recently, uh, kind of a lot of bit. If you take a look at his numbers, as we did last night on the show, it, you're going to have to have some consistency from some of the guys. And uh, it'd be nice if Contreras could be one of those. They certainly paid him to be. When they gave him $87.5 million, it wasn't just to be the team's catcher. It was to be a force in the middle of the lineup and generally in that five spot. Uh, today in the four spot, moved him up, and, and he came through. So good to see. Can he continue it? Remains to be seen. But this was a, a good start, and really not even a start, a continuation because Contreras has shown a little bit better offensively, uh, even going back to the Mets series when he had a home run in that series. 
Brendan Donovan continues to take some of the best ABs on the team. I've been just tooting his horn the entire way, saying the OPS, all the numbers that had been down for BFD, are going to be back. They're going to be there by the end of the year. He's up to a 757 OPS. Really good stuff. And it doesn't matter where you play him in the field. doesn't matter where you put him in the lineup. He's been able to contribute. So good to see from Brendan Donovan. And then, of course, the pitching tonight from Jordan Montgomery. Kind of feels like they needed it. After Jordan Hicks, the apparent closer of this team now, was ridden pretty hard the last three days. You needed a long outing from Montgomery. And honestly, you needed the kind of performance the offense gave so that it didn't matter who was pitching the 8th and ninth. For Hagen, Woodford, that's exactly how you would dial it up. And they both give up a run. It just doesn't matter because the offense came through. So that's the breakdown tonight. But let me know what you enjoyed about the game, what you've enjoyed about the last four games as the Cardinals have gone on this run, and what you think about this team moving forward and their prospects to uh, try and climb out of the cellar and maybe make a run of things in the NL Central. Going to take a quick drink, and then we'll get right into your comments after uh, my, my preamble's done. We're going we're gonna to dive right in tonight. Make sure you like the stream and subscribe, and we'll be back in a moment. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the comments because I know that I already see quite a few of them. I'll try to remember to change up the screen as we go along. I like to put the stats up, the box score, things of that nature, and uh, for now we'll show the offense on the screen a little bit because that is uh, an important aspect of what the Cardinals were able to come up with tonight, really top to bottom. I want to make sure we get Donovan's name on there at the bottom because he was uh, uh, an important contributor. Didn't score any runs or drive any in, but just to continue seeing him Take good ABs has been nice to see um, for sure. So what's going on, guys? Let's get into the comments here. Ryan says, hello, Tommy, talking about four in a row. Go Cardinals. Everything is uh, is right time. Right time is a nice way to put it. Kevin still has opinions about the team. Eventually, Kevin may share those opinions. Uh, you're welcome to do so, okay? Hero314 says, this will be the story of the MLB when we get back to 500. Talking about the Cardinals. Yeah, look, I mean, they've got 12 games to to get back there. They're still 12 under. It's not going to happen overnight. But the fact that they're finally taking care of a, a portion of their schedule that on paper, at least, it looks a little softer um, to be doing it on the road is nice. I want to look in their, uh, their, their 31 and 43. I want to look at their home road splits. They got that on here. They do. They're getting closer to 500 as a road team. This is glaring, though. This 13-21 and 21 record at home has absolutely got to be absolved. They have to play better baseball at Bush Stadium. Uh, it seems like every time I go and cover a game, they lose, and uh, that's basically been because they've lost most of their home games. I think the London series does count as a home game, but I, I'll try to remember as we go along to not count it because I want to know what they do at Bush Stadium the rest of the season. You've got, uh, you know, the B-Fib moniker is a little overplayed, but you've got a group of fans that does go out and support this team on a daily, on a nightly, on a weekly basis. And they haven't played well in front of you guys at, at home, at Bush Stadium. So that's something that's got to be uh, resolved at some point. But for right now, they're 12 games under. They're eight games back of the Reds who just refuse to lose. Um, yeah, that's the team I'd be looking at, folks. I'm, I mean, Milwaukee, I'm still not convinced they don't sell at the deadline. The Cubs, I think, could actually be intriguing as a buyer at the deadline if they can get to 500. Uh, as as an eight and two team, I I flat out have told you for weeks I don't believe in the Pirates, and you see right there the reason. You see right there the reason. They're one and nine in their last ten. They've lost eight straight. That's about where uh, the Pirates. I mean, they're going to probably win seventy seventy five games. They could even flirt with upper seventies. I just don't think it's going to be anything beyond that. And at the end of the day, they probably run out of steam and end up really looking like a a cellar dweller again. If I had to pick somebody to to finish last in the division. 
right now, I know that they're just as easily could could climb back up into it, but I think Pittsburgh does end up being uh, the worst team in this division, which I don't know if I always thought that this year, but the, the magic seems to have worn off from them. So, yes, back to 500 would be a heck of a story. It's not a guarantee to be enough, but the, the more games you can win right now, the, the better it's going to look later on. So, nice to see the Cardinals able to do what they can as of right now. Uh, Jack says nothing better than a few drinks after getting off work and talking Cardinal baseball. So let me know what you're drinking tonight. I'm just drinking water, but um, if you're drinking something else, uh, I couldn't blame you for it, as you might be celebrating a Cardinal winner after uh, four wins in a row. Ryan brings up the the elephant in the room. It's the hashtag Everyday Dylan. Jack talking about Dylan Dingers. Yep, that we are the uh, hashtag Everyday Dylan podcast, and I get it. I get that his numbers this season overall have not been particularly glowing as we kind of take a look here, see if we can't pull up Dylan Carlson's stats. He's up to a 246 average. The OPS sure took a leap tonight to 742, but I'm I'm not blind to it. He was at around a 680 OPS prior to tonight. And if you look at his career stats, they just have not been overwhelmingly positive since that 780 OPS. We looked it up uh, on one of the previous podcasts this week. Had a 780 OPS in the breakout year in 2021. Last year was 99 OPS plus, slightly below average contributor offensively per his position. Uh, And then this year you were seeing more of the same until a big two-homer, one-walk game tonight that Dylan had. I get it. I get that the numbers haven't been great. But you know what I still believe is the case? He's the best defensive center fielder this team has. And there's a lot of air being pumped into the metrics of Tommy Edmond defensively in center. Like, I hear a lot of it from the analysts. I hear a lot of talk about it. And it's, I'm not even saying any of it's false. I, I do. I think Tommy's doing an admirable job. I've, I've used that term because I don't think it's easy what he's been able to accomplish for a guy that's not a center fielder by trade, but he's looking like one out there and is making a lot of these plays. Occasionally, there are misplays that I think don't probably happen with Dylan out there. I do think Dylan probably has a stronger arm, but sometimes you can benefit more from Dylan's arm in right field. So I'm not going to... You know, I, I'm not going to split hairs over that necessarily. I do think Tommy has done a plus job in center field. And uh, congratulations to the Edmonds as well on the, the baby coming up in October. Very exciting news for them. I saw Tommy, uh, or it may have been his wife that posted that on Instagram. I was seeing the screenshots float across uh, Twitter today, so that's really cool news. Uh, Edmonds been playing great baseball offensively, defensively. Uh, he was in the leadoff spot tonight, had another base knock, had another walk. Scored a run, had a stolen base. He's doing a little bit of everything. Uh, the double steal that he and Edmund, or I say he and Edmund, that Edmund and Goldschmidt were able to execute that led to a little bit of small ball there in the, uh, I don't know if that was the fifth inning or when that was for the Cardinals, but that was a key spot just as they continue to tack on. I mean, you look at this box score. Two in the second, two in the fifth. You score in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth off the sheet for a nine-run game. That's runs in six out of the nine innings that they played. That is exactly what Cardinals fans, I think, have been waiting to see from this team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the talk about, oh, they can't score without a homer. And I realize some of the runs tonight did come via the home run. Uh, DeYoung does it with his home run. Dylan had two. But a little bit of small ball as well mixed in there, uh, which I think Dylan's second homer may have been in the fifth. How many RBIs did he have? Carlson. No, just three. So maybe it was uh, here that he had the second home run. I'm getting it conflated at this point. Doesn't matter. To score in six different innings is exactly where... I think the Cardinals rarely found themselves previously in this season. They they didn't have that kind of consistency at the plate. They might score five or six runs, but they might come in one or two different innings. And they, you were all, all often left wanting for more 
based on the way the starting rotation or the bullpen might perform on those given nights. So to be able to have a very complete showing once again offensively against a pitcher that, like, Mackenzie Gore, young pitcher, sure, but had good numbers coming in. Another example of the Cardinals beating up on a lefty, I think, is so important because when you look throughout this lineup, you've got guys like Goldie. You've got Arenado, who did not have a great game, obviously, um, but typically can can really do damage against lefties. Contreras certainly can do so. Walker can do so. Uh, Newpar wasn't in the lineup, but he comes in late for Walker. What you think of that, by the way? The defensive replacement, um, I can get into it a little bit more if people want my opinion on it, but I didn't necessarily mind it. I think it's a sign of the times that the, the Cardinals and Ollie Marmel, they have to do everything that they can to win every game. There is urgency after each game, more so than it'd be nice to get Jordan Walker some development and more innings in the outfield. This roster, this team, and, and, and their place in the standings cannot afford it. In 2023, they had to go for the gusto and and rather than have a misplay lead to a long inning that leads to the Nationals getting back in this game, they said, let's go for defense. And that's why I think Newbar pinch hit there. Nothing about Walker's um, offense, which uh, yeah, I, I guess you could make the case that he could have taken the AB, uh, but they had brought a, a right-hander in. And so they're, they're playing those platoon matchups, which Ollie Marmel has, uh, has done with frequency. But Carlson, historically, I know we talked about it yesterday on B-Shape Daily, Hasn't been the case this year against lefties, but Ollie trusting the history and putting Carlson in there today, rewarding uh, his manager with a couple of home runs. DeYoung, historically good against lefties, and, and Kiz has actually had good numbers against lefties. Brennan Donovan's going to hit you no matter who you are. So typically, Cardinals should be crushing lefties. Like That has to be a part of their DNA as an offense, and so to be able to do it in the early innings uh, to an extent, it was mostly Dylan Carlson coming up with those uh, that run support, but then to be able to tack on against the bullpen. Really important for an offense, and like, we're looking for these signs. I, I don't want to hear about, oh, well, it's just the Nationals. You can only beat who you play. That's the reality of the schedule, and you got to beat a lot of teams if you're going to get back from the the cellar and the basement in the you know, 15, 16 games below 500, whatever they were. They're down to 12 now, so I think it did get to 16 uh, over the weekend. you got to beat who you play, and you can take positives even from beating up on bad teams. You can take away positive signs, and I think just the – the way the offense grinded away tonight, and you could make the case that they did the exact same thing yesterday. Very positive sign from this offense. This should be a top offense. This should be an offense that scores a lot of runs, that uh, that ultimately is able to, to to be near the top of the league in in terms of in terms of run scored. And I want to try to t- take a look now, updated, get you what we can on where they rank because I've I've made a lot of the fact that I think the Cardinals ultimately. Well, that's not what we want. Ultimately, the Cardinals need to be like a top three offense at the end of the season is kind of the way I look at it. And whether or not that's even a possibility at this point kind of remains to be seen. But you look in terms of OPS, they're ninth right now in OPS. So 770 would get you into the top five. Cardinals sitting here at 752, if I could highlight properly. Let's take a look at run scored because I think that's another factor that people uh, would obviously be wondering about for this team. Where they at and run scored. They're down at 11th right now. So I'm looking at this team needing to creep back into the top five or so at a minimum to not have a losing record. Now the starting pitching and the bullpen could could perform beyond its expectations and maybe change that trajectory for me. But I say that based on expecting, as I've as I've reiterated time and time again, the pitching to be more in the middle of that pack, kind of 10th through 15th in in somewhere in there. The offense is going to have to be what carries this team. So right now at 346 runs, you know, that's it's in the top half. But I think to, to get this team where it needs to be, 
It just needs to be an overwhelming success offensively to where you're probably not touching these two teams, the Rangers and Rays, but the Braves, Dodgers, Diamondbacks for sure, and everybody in here, I think those teams are attainable if the Cardinals can continue to wrap off these six, seven, eight, nine run scored type of outings. And you say, well, it shouldn't take that many runs to win a game on a given night. Yeah, maybe it shouldn't. But I think for this Cardinals team, that's the reality of kind of where they are and, and maybe where I expect them to be moving forward. So we'll see what ends up happening there. But but that's kind of my impression of it. You know, you've got this gap to make up in the standings. I think offensively is the way that it has to come for the Cardinals. Um, pitching can help that. I mean, having outings like you got tonight from Montgomery, giving them seven strong, He's been really good uh, again as of late. He had kind of fallen off. We know that he had, I think it was 10 straight games that the Cardinals failed to win for him. But you've got that ERA now back below four, 3.69. Trying to get back to a strikeout per inning. This rotation in general doesn't miss bats very well. We know that. Uh, But we're seeing over his last seven starts, that's a, you know, those are solid numbers. A 3-2 ERA. Um Averaging, yeah, a little over five and a half innings per outing over the last seven. A little bit uncharacteristic, I think, with the walk rate, but not terrible. Not not anything that's uh, that's too bad. But the, you know, I think the whip ultimately could be closer to one point one for him, averaging about a K per inning over the past seven games that he started. So getting better from Montgomery, and and I mean, we we saw him really sharp tonight. So. The starting pitching can be a factor. It can be something that that certainly stabilizes and, and gets the Cardinals that little extra edge, but I think it's got to be the offense ultimately that that propels them if they're going to get there. Um, let's get the likes up to 30, and we'll jump right back into the comments. Uh, I know we were kind of talking a little Dylan Dinger, and then I, I, I sort of went on the tangent, but I can talk about this. Like When it comes to Dylan Carlson, I still think Paul DeYoung, Nolan Gorman is going to be a factor in terms of like all these guys sharing playing time. But when I look at Carlson... And I can pull the stats up because I haven't closed out the window. I still feel like this is a guy that he's 24 years old, and maybe you just, maybe you just play him and see what he is. Because I could understand that if you looked at last year's numbers and said, yeah, it's 696 OPS, he played a good bit. You know, that was basically a full season. Um, you know, 432 ABs, close to 500 plate appearances. He played a lot last year, and those aren't really very impressive numbers. If one night can do this to his OPS, I know that the slug needs to be, I mean, that's where it needs to be. He needs to be a 740 OPS guy. And you're not always going to have two home run games to get you there if you're Dylan Carlson. But if I'm the Cardinals, given what he brings to the table defensively, I think you got to play him. Given his age, given his relative inexperience, I know last year was kind of rough. you got to consider maybe some of the injuries he was going through. And I also would make the claim that this team has not done anything. It has not gone out of its way to instill confidence in Dylan Carlson in terms of the opportunity that they're extending him relative to what they've done for for Tyler O'Neill at times in the past. Relative to the way they're, you know, Tommy Edmonds getting those opportunities. I think he deserves them. But I I also would would stump for Dylan Carlson a little bit to say, this guy was a top prospect. Maybe he was never that because of his overwhelming power and, and hit tool. I think he was solid in so many areas that you just thought he's bound to be a really quality major leaguer. And then we're seeing sort of underwhelming things from him at the plate. And that's maybe what the people would say that are not in his corner in terms of this guy just needs to be an everyday player. Uh, He's lost some of the shine to his status and his luster is a little bit depleted. But I don't think that's through any major fault of his own. I think you can make the case that, all right, if this is the outlier season of 2022 that was injury riddled and can he be more like the guy he was in 21 
I mean, if he was 266, 343 OBP, and a 437 slug for 780 OPS, you take that. I mean, you would take that three times in your outfield, especially with the defense that he brings. I would take that in each corner. I would take that in center field. Um, I would even take what he's doing now as of tonight, this season, with a 742 OPS. Um, I, I just think it's one of those cases where you got to just let him play and see what he is. And more than that, when I compare it to Dylan or Paul DeYoung, which is difficult because Paul DeYoung, his OPS now is up to 770. I understand that. I understand that he's, you know, starting to find it again. And he's a guy that can hit 25 home runs. He's done it before. And if he does it, you can, I mean, he's got 11 this year. I would look at that and say, yeah, Dylan Carlson is not a, a huge candidate for me for a guy that's going to hit 25 home runs. I just don't know how likely it is um, because he's, he's just not, quite to that level of power. But could Dylan hit 15 to 20? Could he do it with really quality center field defense, which has value? Um, could, could he could he hit a lot of doubles? Could he eventually, I mean, 750, I think is a sweet spot for a, an OPS of Dylan Carlson. DeYoung can beat that because he's got more raw power. And, uh, you know, we've seen even recently the numbers are starting to creep back up for DeYoung. It's not an anti-Paul DeYoung take, but I would also mention this, that Paul DeYoung's probably not going to be here next year. And I think for what he would have to do offensively to get the Cardinals to buy in on another year at, the, at that option price, which off the top of my head, I admittedly don't know what it is, but I think it's close to $20 million. It, it, it seems like it's going to be prohibitive um, compared to what I think they're going to count on getting from him in terms of, of value offensively. These are Paul DeYoung's numbers here, 770 OPS. I mean, he was 531 OPS for a season. They sent him to AAA for a lot of last year. 674 the year before, 671. You're talking about three full seasons, basically, and I know the, the COVID year kind of is, is cheating a little bit, but it's been really since 2019 since we've seen Paul DeYoung performing at the level that he's doing now. And it's interesting, you look at the comparison of this year's numbers after tonight to what he did in 2019, it's almost identical. Same batting average, OBP within 13 points, 305 to 318. He's slugging 21 uh, more points so far this year than he had been in 2019. But, like, that's about, I mean, you're seeing Paul DeYoung back to those 2018, 2019 standards. Could he fall off again? Sure. But then he could also have a stretch where he hits a couple of home runs and he's right back to where he is. There's value to that. And there's value to what he brings because of his defense. Do I think it's going to be enough to get the Cardinals knowing that they've got Mason win on the way? Do I think it's enough to, to get Paul Young signed under that option? I really don't anticipate it. And so it's not like you're planning yet for 2024. You got to do whatever you think is best for this season. But I think Dylan Carlson could be a combination of best for this season and a legitimate force for 2024 in an outfield that you have no idea what to expect. They really like Lars Newbar, and so he's probably an everyday guy in their outfield next year. But beyond that, who do you have? Like Tommy Edmonds doing it right now, he could be called upon to be an infielder at any given moment. Same thing with Brendan Donovan, who's played some outfield and has done a nice job. But are you counting on Tyler O'Neill for next year? I can't imagine that you are. Jordan Walker is an interesting case. Is he going to be able to stick defensively in the outfield, or is he still going to be the kind of guy that they want to take out late in a game that they're leading because of uh, concerns defensively? I don't really know. It's not fair to him to paint him in a bad light defensively. They kind of messed up and I think dropped the ball on the notion that they only had him 10 and a half months ago slated to play center or play the outfield for the first time. And, and he's learning and he's a good athlete, and I think he'll get better at it. But all this to say, like, there's... Only a couple of things that I would have to paint and say these go south instead of north in the offseason to where suddenly your outfield is basically 
you, you've got a whole lot of nothing or at least a whole lot of question marks out there. Wouldn't you like to know when it comes to Dylan Carlson whether or not he's going to be a solution or whether you, you trade him or whether he's a fourth outfielder? I think it'd be nice to know, and I don't think you can do that unless you play him. So that's kind of my thought process there. In conjunction with, I think he can help you this year. Because he's a good defender, he can give you close to what Paul DeYoung does offensively, and then you can find out maybe he's a legit center fielder and instill confidence in him. Do what you've done with other players like DeYoung, like Tyler O'Neill, and maybe Dylan Carlson rewards you for that. But with, with the sporadic playing time, it's tough to expect him to be able to catch on. So that's certainly an aspect I'm thinking of when it comes to Dylan Carlson. But yes, we're a hashtag Everyday Dylan Pod, so it should come as no surprise that we enjoyed seeing uh, what Carlson provided for the Cardinals tonight, and he really did kind of set the tone, I thought, in a lot of ways. Childish Scambino says, if the Cardinals push their way to a playoff spot, do you think the front office still makes changes, or do they uh, refrain? And Childish says, sorry for the loss, uh, and I appreciate that. As I had mentioned, uh, my, my Nana passing away on Friday has been sort of the reason we haven't been live recently, but, uh, you know, that's just... Uh, it's a part of life, and, and and we're all dealing with it. But appreciate you guys for all the support. That's been really cool of you, uh, those who have reached out. Um, yeah, when it comes to, say, they make a push for a playoff spot, they're going to have to make changes regardless. Like, part of what's caused the problems this year was the inconsistency of the rotation, and they're not going to have those same starting pitchers next year because we know Wainwright's retiring. We know Flaherty's likely gone. I expect Montgomery to be gone in free agency. So that's really... 60% of your rotation, they're going to have to make changes in that regard. And I, I think stop gaps are, are a dangerous way to play it. You know, that's why you're exploring Matthew Libertor to see if he can, can be one of those guys for you next year. You want to really take a look at what you've got in the, in the prospects, the guys at Memphis, uh, to see if they could potentially be something. It'd be nice if Dakota Hudson could round back into form, but it just, it guys, it does not look likely to me. He's really struggled in Memphis. Uh, he pitched again tonight and I, I saw from, I think Kyle Reese was putting it together. I think he might have had a, a rough start, gave up a home run to the first batter that he faced, something like that. Don't know 100% how that outing finished up for him. I'm, I, you know, I was going to look it up, but I'm not even going to bother. I, I just think it's been a rough go for Hudson, and I, I don't think you can realistically count him in on next year. I could see a scenario where Steven Matz comes to spring training looking for a starting spot back. Um, I think it'd probably be a mistake if – if you count him as your sixth starter going into next year, that's one thing. But if you're saying Steven Matz, we're penciling him in as one of our five, I think the Cardinals would, I think that's short-sighted because they did it this year. I know you're paying him. I get it. But you're also getting $17.5 million off the books from Wainwright. Uh, you're getting, uh, what, $10 million off the books from Jordan Montgomery and, and Flaherty's making five or six. So, like, there's money to play with for sure. And there's the fact that he, they, they touted how much, how they'd raise the payroll, and then they did it a little bit. And it went up like infinitesimally. So you can raise the payroll more. Bill DeWitt, that's part of it, is spending. you got to spend in conjunction with what some of these other uh, competitors in the NL are doing. That's part of it. And and, and they, they tout that, well, over the course of time, we've been step for step with our, our payroll versus our uh, our revenues. And we've been in the top 12 or whatever is are, are the things that they have said. I, I don't know the numbers offhand this year, but I don't believe. I think they're more like mid, mid, mid-tier, mid mid-pack, 15th, 16th in payroll this year. Somebody can check me on that. Um, the payroll technically went up. The, the number did, but I don't think in conjunction with the wild spending you saw in the offseason by a lot of teams, which maybe that doesn't work out for everybody. I'm not advocating Bill DeWitt spend like the Mets owner Steve Cohen spent um, because I you got to spend good money more than just doing it. It makes people happy to see you spend money. You got to spend good money as part of the equation. And, uh, you know, 
some of the money Steve Cohen spent may not he may not be getting the return on that investment because the Mets uh, are a below 500 team right now, just like the Cardinals. So that's all got to be considered. But the question was about uh, will the front office make changes? I think they have to, but I also think the changes might not be as drastic as everybody. Like right now, 12 games below 500, everybody thinks the train the, the changes should be drastic. And if they finish that way, certainly that would be the case. But if they don't, it's because the guys they invested in, like Goldschmidt, Arenado, like some of the young players, Walker and Gorman that they've developed, Brendan Donovan that they've developed, Tommy Edmond, they get credit for that as well. Uh, it would be that this group of, of position players put together a really nice run. It, it would be that their starting rotation that everybody has maligned pretty considerably through the early portion of the year actually settles into being a fine unit. Um, you know, it, it may not need to be sweeping changes, but it will need to be, uh, you got to adapt eventually because it's not enjoyable to have these runs in summer where you go, well, they look like the worst team in baseball for a time. How do you avoid that next time? I, I do think the model has to change. I do think that our up, not change necessarily, but you got to update it. You got to update and upgrade the model. And you have to recognize that John Mozeliak is going to begin his, if it hasn't happened already, we wouldn't really notice the signs of this yet. But if he, if he hasn't already done it, loosening the reins little by little of his control over this team and trust in the Mike Gersh's and the, the Randy Flores's of the world to make, you know, have a heavier hand in these decisions. It's not to say that they've just been sitting idly by twiddling their thumbs. Um, Flores obviously very involved when it comes to the draft. That's been kind of his baby the last few years. And, and Gersh is when people say, well, he's the GM. Why wouldn't Gersh do more? He's working behind the scenes. You may not always see the moves that he's got a heavy hand in because we basically, as a public, attribute everything to Mosellock because the, he's the guy with his his name on the on the banner, right? Um, he's he's got the headlining act, and that's the way we treat it. Is anything you know? He's got final stamp of approval, but there are things that Mike Gersh is doing as well. But Mo, I think, as part of this model and as part of this, will the front office make changes? I think he's got to adapt and recognize kind of what his role is going to be moving forward as he sort of. Uh, lessens his control and command of the situation in this organization, not because he's getting fired, but because, as he said in February, this is kind of the last go-around is in, in no uncertain terms is the way it was described. Through 2025 is that contract. And so, yes, Childish Gambino, whether they make the playoffs somehow or not, I think, you, I think you're going to see front office changes and you're going to see the imprints and the fingerprints of other guys, um, other individuals that will will – kind of rise in power and in an influence over this organization um, for better or worse. That's the reality that's coming for the Cardinals. You might be a fan of Mo if they end up wrapping off, uh, you know, 85 wins and, and winning this division one way or another, and, and maybe even making a run in the playoffs um, because we, you say, well, they don't have the pitching to compete in the playoffs. If Jordan Montgomery pitches the way he did tonight, and and we've seen certain games from, from others like Flaherty and Michaelis that, give credence to the idea that it could, you know, you could put that together on accident for a couple of weeks in October. They could win some series and they could do some things, especially if everything's clicking offensively. Do I expect it? No. I I mean, at this point, I, I say it's still kind of a longer shot that they would be able to pull off this division, but I've always been a little more optimistic. I feel like than a lot of people who had sort of jumped off the, the off, off the ship. And I look at it right now as they've got about as good as chance as anybody. I'd put the Cardinals chances above the pirates um, I'm, I'm inclined to put them above the Cubs and Brewers as well. I do think the Reds are somewhat genuine and legitimate. Um, they could, they could falter just the same as anybody else, but I look at Cincinnati adding as the season goes along in terms of, uh, young, young prospects. They brought up De La Cruz. Encarnacion Strand is another hitter that that's been tearing it up in the minors. 
They do have the whole pitching situation to deal with right now with Hunter Green on the IL. I think they could make trades at the deadline for pitching uh, if they really wanted to be aggressive. The Cardinals need to hope that the Reds this year do exactly what we saw the Orioles do last year and still sell off at the deadline because they feel we're a little too early to this party. We we don't want to sell out for right now when we have a, a long-term plan in place. And credit to the Reds organization for kind of turning things around. And if you heard the, the crowd tonight there when they when they knocked off the Rockies for 10 in a row, the crowd's getting into it. The fans in Cincy are good fans. They just haven't had a lot to cheer for in recent years. That could be a, a dangerous whole situation if, uh, if if the Reds fans get back into that building and start to support this team. That could cause ownership in, in the front office there to demand, like, you know what, we got to we got to help these guys out and give them a product because they're supporting us. Uh, granted, the, the Castellinis, and he's the team president, and the, the, that's the son and the owners of Castellini, and they've been, I mean, some of the comments that have been made publicly by those guys are just, uh, it's been kind of a clown show the last couple of years. But if they start winning games, I'm not going to put it past them to potentially go, you know what we could use as a pitcher or two. Like, I'm telling you, they need Montgomery and Flaherty. They need two guys like that, just rental pitchers. Not saying the Cardinals are going to send them mid-division, but two guys like that that can just fill some some decent innings in the middle of a rotation. And that could be the difference, I think, for the Reds to maybe actually make a push here. Um, we'll have to wait and see, though. But long story short, there will be changes in St. Louis that the roster and the situation with the front office is going to demand it. It's going to dictate it. Jumping back into the comments, though, let's go ahead and do that. Tickets to London are cheap, said Ryan. What do you say, 110? I got to check that out. What do you say? 110 bucks. It's the travel that's expensive. Yeah, getting across the pond ain't easy. Um, I won't be there. I got the baby at home. I'm not. Not making that happen, but I do plan to hopefully go to Birmingham next year to cover that game. Uh, they just announced today, officially MLB announced the Cardinals will take on the Giants at Rickwood Field, I believe is the name of it. Um, the the Birmingham Black Barons used to play there. I think Willie Mays, uh, his old stomping grounds. So kind of a really cool event they'll put on next year that the Cardinals get to be a part of. I think it's really neat when St. Louis gets to be involved in a lot of these uh, kind of signature MLB events, they call them. Um, no, no field of dreams game next year because I think they're renovating that, that venue, but, uh, the Rickwood field, that'll be kind of cool. Birmingham, Alabama. See you on June 20th of next year, a year from today. Brian says starting to look like a ball team stringing together hits power, fighting back and adding on through the game too. Yeah. Again, you scored in six out of nine innings. That's the key. That's the, that's the chef's kiss as they say. Uh, so great point there by Brian. Feels good to finally see them beat a team they should be beating. That's where Jack feels about it. Yeah, I mean, you're, not every team you play on the schedule is going to be a world beater, um, and, and and sometimes you just gotta you just gotta take take it to the teams that aren't very good. And if you want to be considered not one of those teams, yeah, this is the kind of series that you probably need to sweep. Now that they've won the first two, you absolutely do. You you need to sweep the thing. You know, it's maybe asking a lot before you get into the series to say, hey, win three games in a row. Um, but now that they've demonstrated what they can do in the first two, I, I say it's a big one tomorrow afternoon to be able to get it and uh, have a nice, happy flight over to London because, uh, yeah, I mean, you got a couple of days off. The bullpen should be, I mean, I, I think even though Hicks threw three days in a row, you could see him tomorrow. You'll see Gio. You'll see anybody they need. Ollie should manage it like a playoff game. I mean, win that game, get even closer as you approach the uh, series against the Cubs, and then you're going to have a, a, a bit of a stiffer test when the Astros and Yankees come to town. Uh, following London, but that's the reality. You just got to go out there and, and play, get the confidence to be able to win the games against those better clubs. And 
it's going to be, again, it's going to be a grind. This is not going to happen overnight, but the more wins you can just rack up against bad teams, it's going to feel easier down the road. You'll be glad you did it if you're the Cardinals. Um, and, and Childish mentions uh, the, the changes to the approach. Yeah, and we talked a lot about that, the approach, the model. I think some things are going to have to change, and that'll be true regardless of how this shapes up. Uh, Rob would venture the season cannot be salvaged without better pitching, but this lineup can finish the season from here to, uh, from here on out, he says, as a top-five offense without question. I agree with Rob on that. I say top-five the rest of the way, but also I think overall needs to be top-five. Um, so maybe they need to be top three rest of the way to get to top five because it's working now. You're in conjunction, pitching, offense, defense is looking a lot more stabilized, but it, the days are going to come where they play pretty well and they lose again, right? Right now they're getting rewarded for their good play. There was a time this year that when they played well, they weren't even getting rewarded for that. And so I, I really do think it's going to be, you got to be over the top, in terms of like the quality of the offense, I think in order to get where they want to go, um, because they've they've dug a deep hole and and just slugging the crap out of the ball is the way they're going to get out of it. I, I think they can. I would worry about guys like Nolan Gorman though, because when I thought about this team being a top three offense, I thought Gorman was going to be a part of that. And right now, he looks like he's going up there with you know without a bat. Sometimes he he just has not been effective and. I don't know what to expect moving forward. I was, you know, touting my own pick of Gorman as an all-star there for a while. Doesn't look likely with the voting wrapping up in a couple of days, and he's just really fallen off the face of the earth. But for him to be able to maybe have a second-half renaissance, Wilson Contreras picking it up, and he's kind of closing in on 700 for an OPS as well, as you see there on the screen. If DeYoung is not going to fade into the ether, if Carlson can, can provide some spark as well, Arenado's going to have to get back going a little bit. 800 on his OPS. He's kind of falling off a tad. Uh, he'll be there, though. Like, I agree with Rob. There's a lot to like about this lineup. They've just got to do it consistently, and they can't have another week where it's like, oh, no, we, we forgot how to hit this week. It, they've lost the privilege. I mean, they just don't have – they can't afford it anymore if they want to make the playoffs. Um, appreciate you guys for being here. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand new. Uh, would love to get you guys on board. Brendan Schaefer on YouTube. Uh, youtube.com slash bshafer12, or I should say slash at bshafer12 if you're listening on Spotify right now. Um, check out the YouTube and comment below with your thoughts on the Cardinals and uh, whether or not this season is salvageable. I think we, we're in agreement, a lot of us, about the fact that it's got to come from the offense. The pitching's going to be a little bit what it is. Yeah, maybe you can try and reorient at the deadline, add some pitching. Uh, remains to be seen maybe what the White Sox do. I don't know if they're trading to Dylan Cease. He pitched tonight and ends up... Uh, White Sox winning that game, they're kind of back in the mix. So it, what aces will be on the menu when it comes to the trade deadline sort of remains to be seen. It's a good thing the Cardinals rotation is coming around because they may not have their pick of the litter in terms of the options. But um, we'll be talking about this team regardless the rest of the way. So would love to have you subscribe right here uh, on the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. 460-foot bomb was the monster. Carlson showed he had has still got the power. I think it was 445 on the home run. Uh, not quite 460, Hiru, but you know what? I'll take it. We can we can fudge the numbers if we need to because it what it supports our agenda. That's what it's all about. Uh, Robert, chiming in, what's your take on the Cardinals fans are spoiled talk on Twitter? Yeah, I, I saw this from Randy Carricker the other day, and I know that's kind of what's, what stemmed it. And then I responded a little bit to it without even knowing what was being discussed. Uh, Randy Carricker for 101 ESPN, uh, longtime radio host in, in the St. Louis area and and. Uh, you know, long time 
been talking about the Cardinals forever. But um, he made the comment that, and I think it was on a reply to Tom Ackerman. I was going to try to pull it up, but I can't find it. He made the comment that the Cardinals basically by winning over the years as they have, have uh, sort of inspired a, a spoiled, entitled fan base. And I think to say spoiled was maybe the inflammatory word that got people up in arms. I think what he was really just describing was the fact that, you know, Cardinals fans expect to win. And he even said in the tweet, like rightfully so, that's what's been kind of established here as a precedent. But he said losing, a little losing once in a while can be good for the soul because you realize that the wins taste that much sweeter when you get them. Um, you know, I don't think it's as much about Cardinals fans. Like the Cardinals fans demand the excellence and, and he's right about that. They've been conditioned to do so because of the way the team has had success. To me, though, I don't I don't necessarily love the comparison. Like, I, I, don't, I think it was getting overblown. But the way I look at this season being a failure if they lose a bunch of games is because of, not like the fans expect to win every year because they do, but like the team was talking at the beginning of the season, like, yeah, the fans should expect to win this year because we've got a really good roster coming in. That's the way the team kind of presented it. And so I don't think, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, anything over the top. But yeah, I look at this season and go, well, the reason the fans expect to win this year is because the team kind of told them that they should expect it. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's kind of the way I took it for sure. The thing I, I think I especially would agree with Randy on is Cardinals fans, they don't know how to lose because like he said in, in some of his follow-up tweets on on the topic, people 28, 29 years and younger like me just don't have any memory of the Cardinals as a losing team. It just has never really been the case. 2007, the one losing season uh, that I can honestly remember in my lifetime. I Was was 1998 an actual losing season? Because I can remember that, but that was more about McGuire. I don't know what their final record was, but like that's kind of the point is it's it's really been a long time, and so I think a lot of people don't really know how to act. But because coming into this season they were expected to be good, it'd be different if they were like, eh, this might be a step back this year. That's not the way the team presented it, and so I, I think it's fair to hold the team to the standard of like, look, Yes, losing is okay every once in a once in a decade, but if coming into a year it's hey we're billing this as expectations, th then I think it's fair to hold the team to those expectations. Allison said, "Hey, like the stream and retweeted. Uh, been looking forward to the stream. Appreciate you for being here, Allison. No doubt. Miles is excited to see some good Cardinal baseball. Felt proud to wear red today to work for once in a long time. Yeah, that's got to be nice, guys. It's got to be nice that you can." Uh, Maybe not feel like it's a brown paper bag, you know, and, and I don't wear Cardinals gear. I'm not a Cardinals fan. I've talked about that before as my my role writing about the team and covering the team has, has changed me um, from where I was when I was a youngster. Uh, but my son, Gabriel, you know, family members and stuff buy him Cardinals gear. He's welcome to be a Cardinals fan. And he was wearing one of his Cardinals uh, little outfits the other day, uh, actually to the pediatrician appointment we took him to. And the pediatrician was commenting on that and was like, oh, yeah, Cardinals. And I was like, yeah. I kind of made the joke that he already had a little poop on his outfit today, but that was it was just the Cardinals logo. It was a small joke, small joke, but that's kind of the way it probably feels for a lot of you guys in terms of wearing your Cardinals stuff. Now you can be loud and proud again. It's not like the brown paper bag era of uh, you know ten and twenty four or whatever. This team still got a long way to go, but but they're really bouncing back in a in a way that I think is meaningful and will have a little bit of staying power. So I like that comment, Miles. Good good point there. Uh, Hiru314 says, we're going to 500. I can feel it. I think they do get back to 500. Whether they can do enough to get back to the division lead if a team like the Reds takes off and finishes, you know, 10 games above 500 at 86, 87 wins, the, the Reds and what they do at the deadline could really be a determining factor in this because right now nobody can beat them. Allison says, has, uh, or asks, has Hicks found his role three in a row? 
yeah, he's the closer. I, like, there's not, there's no debate, there's no discussion. You can just look at what the Cardinal manager has done the last, you know, few nights, and tonight he just simply was not available, and you didn't need a closer because you're up six. But Jordan Hicks is the closer of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, until further notice. Uh, even when Ryan Helsley comes back, I think you know Helsley will be able to pitch the ninth because you're not going to be able to use Jordan Hicks every time necessarily. But Jordan Hicks is the most prized and prominent reliever in this bullpen right now, full stop. There's no doubt that the manager of the team has has showed you and told you with his actions the way they view it. And uh, that's a little bit scary, I think, because of, of the inconsistency we saw from Jordan Hicks earlier in the season. But all that being said, he looks absolutely dominant right now. The 104 miles per hour that he threw to end the game last night was one of the sickest pitches I have seen all year in Major League Baseball. So um, if, if if that is kind of what he needed to establish his swagger a little bit and get his confidence back, he'll still walk guys. He'll still hit batters as he did in one of those outings. Like, it's he's, he's not always going to have perfect command. I don't know anybody that, that can throw lightning bolts and, and always know where they're going to end up. And so that's kind of comes with the territory. But I think his stuff is moving so well right now that as long as he's throwing 102-103... He's going to get away with missing location a little bit on on occasion. And, uh, yeah, he's found his role, Allison. He's the closer of the Cardinals. There's no doubt. Heidi Ho says, Corn, what's up, brother? Uh, nine games back should be 19, but it's crazy they could easily go 7-3 and three and be reasonably within reach of the division title. Yeah, they could do that. It's going to take the Reds falling off a little bit, though. I'm, I get it. The Brewers are still right on their tail. I'll pull the standings up a little bit for you guys again, give you an idea of where things are. Brewers are uh, just a half game behind. Um, but you look at the four and six over their last 10, it's equal to what the Cardinals have done, but it's been the Reds, man, 10 and 0. It's hard to, hard to contend with that. The Chicago Cubs are eight and two. So keep an eye on them. The Pirates are done. That little L8. Yeah, it's not good. That's not good for their, their hopes. But I really do believe that, um, even though the Cardinals are in last right now, they're, it would feel better to be above the Pirates and above the Cubs. And that's what makes London so huge. I know it's just a, a two-game series, but beyond just the general momentum of showing the world that the Cardinals aren't trash this year uh, on, on a larger, grander stage in Europe, getting those wins over the Cubs, I mean, that to, to win those two games versus a split versus, heaven forbid, a, a two losses out there, right now you're four and a half behind the Cubs, just doing some quick math. You're eight back overall. They're three and a half back. Yeah, that's going to be a really important two-gamer for the Cardinals to be able to claim um, and you certainly don't want to lose them both to go the wrong direction there. So I hear you. It could be worse than it is, but then again, you go seven and three. What would seven and three do if they're that over their next 10, which I don't know if that extends. You got one more in Washington, two against the Cubs, uh, which is a total then of three games. And then let's just take the Houston and the Yankees series to get you to nine. You go six and three or whatever in that stretch. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's the kind of baseball they're going to have to continue to play. What's up? The Grave of Einstein with a super chat. Uh, yeah, you guys are welcome to super chat. I'm not going to beg for it in every episode, but if you want to support uh, the podcast and everything, that's one way that you can do it. And it guarantees you that I'll see your comment. So Einstein, appreciate you, brother, for that. Uh, he says, very interesting how they handle save situations when Helsley gets back. Hicks looks like 2022 Helsley on the mound, and Helsley hasn't all the time. Yeah, I mean, Helsley's numbers have been somewhat inconsistent. Um, was there this health issue that was going on that, that sort of uh, sort of leads to that to some extent. You can look at some of the recent outings. I mean, he he's pitched well for the most part, but you see that was rough, and he had that stretch there, Dodgers-Reds, that was rough. Um, what's his ERA for the season? 3-2-4 ERA, which is not any, anything close to what he was last year. 
And I agree with this. I mean, the one one the one two five ERA, that's kind of what we've seen from Jordan Hicks over the past month and a half or so, right? So he's really settled into that role nicely. And it's nice to have a guy like him in the bullpen. I think the Cardinals are going to need more than just that. They need more than just one stud reliever. Um, but I agree. Einstein, my opinion on it is Hicks is the guy until he loses the spot. Will Ryan Helsley pitch the ninth at times? Sure. But this team, I've been saying, you've got to have three dudes in the back of that bullpen. Any bullpen that wants to be truly successful, you've got to have three dudes that when your starter goes 6-2 and two, and it's a it's a 3-2 to two lead, you got to know that game's over. You've got to be able to go 7-8-9, and, and I think Geo can get there, bridge the gap, and then you maybe go Helsley, you maybe, you maybe go Hicks. Like, on a given day, they'll decide how to handle those last three innings. But that's kind of the blueprint that the Cardinals are looking to set up. And right now, with the way Hicks is throwing the ball, you ride that until the wheels fall off. And the wheels very well may fall off. Jordan Hicks has had times where he's been inconsistent in the not-too-distant past, uh, obviously, and so it's a possibility that he won't look this dominant for the rest of the year. And it's also possible they don't get Helsley back. I don't know if there's been like a grand update. I'm not obviously in D.C. covering the team. And so we'll kind of see what ends up happening when it comes to Ryan Helsley moving forward um, and, and how much of a of an opportunity to, to really get back on the field he's going to have. With the forearm strain, the talk was maybe that it was going to just be kind of have some rest and see where he is. But even if he comes back within the next two, three weeks, which I wouldn't anticipate, but it's possible, if like if everything goes well, but how many times does it with a forearm strain just, oh, yeah, the timeline was he just needed a week of rest and he's good to go. Even if that happens, Jordan Hicks is the closer. I'm not I'm not even speculating on that. It's just he is, and they'll also trust Helsley, obviously, to throw in the ninth inning. But bullpens are fickle, relievers are fickle, and closers in particular can be fickle. And when you've got one that's just absolutely owning his role, you don't touch that. You don't mess with it. So to me... Hicks is going to be the guy even after Helsley comes back. Um, which is not to say that Helsley won't be trusted in late innings. He still will be, but um, that's very much a hypothetical at this point, whether or not they get him back right away. Brian says, how about Monty? Would have liked to see him in the eighth where Hagen was serving up meatballs. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to stretch Montgomery beyond the seven innings tonight. Um, you had that big lead. Uh, let's make sure we know. It's 94 pitches. The last time that Monty had thrown 97 pitches and I asked him about, yeah, should you have gone back out? He said, well, I was over 100 pitches, so it's fine. I, I think you get him right up around 100. You're cool with that. You got to preserve him for the long run of the season. Um, and and where the game was at that point, what was it, 7-2, seven 7-1 to two, seven to one at that point before they scored in the eighth. I'm cool with that. I was cool with it. Got to get those guys a little bit, you know, rested, uh, Make sure they're good to go every fifth and, and get guys like Verhagen and Woodford into games that, um, you know, they're not going to pitch tomorrow. Tomorrow you're going to need to throw your top guys, I think, if you're Ollie Marmel. And so um, I don't have a problem with with what they did with the pitching staff today. Jake, what's going on? He says, Carlson stabilizing an outfield position is huge. Him and Newt along with Donovan may be the best option. DeYoung is short Walker at DH. Yeah, I've, I've said Walker at DH, but I recognize that long-term they don't want to just turn him into a DH and – the offense fits better if he can play a corner outfield and do it well. I'm not talking for this year, but I mean long-term because then they can they can afford to either plug a Gorman at DH if long-term he looks suitable to it. And he looks nice at second base as well. Or, you know, heaven forbid, what if they really trust Nolan Gorman's offense to not just go into a dark cave from time to time as it has recently and he can come out of that and stay stable? I'm not saying you want to trade Edmund or Brendan Donovan, but if there's a team out there that goes... Yeah, we'll give you this starting pitcher for that. I mean, you have to consider all options. 
and it helps the Cardinals to know, well, if, if Walker can be really legitimate, not just offensively, but defensively in a corner outfield spot, if Lars Newbar is able to handle what we think he can handle, the, and Dylan Carlson, I think, could do it in center, but I could also see him being a trade chip if he's if he's able to show enough value. Tonight did not hurt in that in that category. I think those are all important things. But down the road, it could mean if you have a DH opening to just sign a bopper and be able to really just plug a dude in who's maybe a, as Goldschmidt kind of wanes a little bit, what if he's capable of playing first base? Things like that, I think, are uh, really important. Eric says, love the shows. I uh, know we have no bearing on personnel, but personally, trade deadline is sell high on to Young. Won't happen. Then let Carlson play every day. Injuries are his only roadblock. Yeah, I mean, hopefully this didn't burn us here. I think it might be burning us. Oh, boy. Hopefully this doesn't kill us. Are we dead? Are we dead? I hope we're not dead. I'll have to track down uh, what's-his-name that just did that chat, Eric Bishop, if we did die on the stream. We've had we've gone a long time without YouTube completely crapping out on us, but hopefully hopefully we don't end up with, with that. I'm going to go right into the comments here. Let me know if you're still seeing and hearing this uh, in terms of the stream because it's not letting me know if there's any way to reset us. It's trying so hard. I want to try to knock down some of the things that we're using here, if that can help. But, you know, sometimes we just don't get the luck. But I appreciate Eric on the live chat there with uh, with the super chat. Thanks, brother. Um, go ahead and comment if you're still able to see it. <laughs> Jack can hear me. Eric is wondering if his super chat crashed the stream. We're, we have some poor quality. Hopefully uh, we can get back to excellency. Uh, would be very nice to see that. But I, I want to at least address Eric's question because I think it's a good one. And if we end up dying... Um, I did want to kind of wrap up after an hour, and we're kind of there anyway. Um, always at B. Schaefer 12 to let me know if you've got comments, because I know there's a lot of good comments that we've missed. Uh, but selling high on DeYoung just feels difficult. You'd almost need a contender that has a, an injury at shortstop, and they would say, bang, this is the move that we've got to make. We've got to add this Paul DeYoung just for a short-term benefit. And I think that can be so tricky uh, to find that deal and, and to know that the Cardinals – I mean, I think it makes sense from the Cardinals' standpoint if you can get anything for him, um, but I just don't know what you can. And so if you're selling high, you're doing it because you can get something for a guy. Um, and the moment you trade away depth as well is when you wish you had it again. Carlson, let's say, would start playing poorly. Um, Tommy Edmond would get hurt. Now you have to call it Mason Wynn. You don't think he's ready. Like, there could be a lot of things that happen at once that you could regret trading away somebody like that. I think you ride DeYoung till the wheels fall off. I really do. And if the wheels do fall off, well, you probably don't have any trade value for him, but that's not the end of the world as the uh, the connection just returns. So we like that. It's not the end of the world if you end up not getting anything for Paul DeYoung. Sometimes with certain guys, I just think that's the way that you play it because he could catch fire for a little bit and carry you. Just imagine a scenario where DeYoung just has a so-so season, but you do sneak into a wild card series and he hits three home runs in two days. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but doesn't he strike you as the type that could surprise and do something like that? So I don't know how legitimate those possibilities would be, but I do agree with Eric. Like you let Carlson play every day. Um, he hasn't been hurt really this year. And I think Dylan Carlson is a guy that deserves more opportunity from the very beginning of this season than the Cardinals have been, been willing to extend to him. I understand the reasons I understand the impediments, and the fact that they they really wanted to invest in a guy like Tyler O'Neill to begin the season. 
I just don't really think that it was was the way to go. And in retrospect, now we can see that it probably wasn't the way to go. And now you have an opportunity to fix that. But it's like they're still they're still looking in other directions. They're looking at Paul DeYoung. They're looking at Tommy Edmond. They're looking at all these other things where it's like, yeah, those are good. You know, Tommy Evans should play every day. Brendan Donovan should play every day. That's part of the thing that we go back to in the offseason, though, is like they had a logjam of these position players that they could have resolved and didn't. And so it's really tricky. Eric, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for the super chat. Um, I think we see the, the situations rather similarly. I just wonder if Paul DeYoung is actually a guy they could get anything for at the deadline. That's really all that keeps me from thinking that what you suggest there is possible. Einstein says, we talk about trading depth because outside of the outfield, there really haven't been too many injury openings this season. And that's true. And like the moment it happens, you probably end up, bam, you're injured again. And uh, Eric mentions the ankle injury. Dylan just did come off of the IL. His numbers since coming off the IL are good though. And he mentions that uh, Dylan was just turning it around when that injury happened. And I think he's right about that. Just like last year with his wrist injury came when he was starting to get a little bit hot. Yeah, it's been really bad timing, bad luck, and I wish the Cardinals would kind of see through that a little bit to go, this guy's 24. Why don't we invest in him and treat him like a top prospect? Because that's what he used to be. Yeah, I could totally get on with that. Aaron says our luck would be to send to Young, and he's back to being an all-star. Then fans would use that as a way to attack the front office for not getting enough for him. The only difference is there, like, I don't think anybody in their right mind will look at the end of the season and go, oh, the Cardinals are dumb if they don't pick up a $20 million option for DeYoung. I think everybody, including the Cardinals, including Paul DeYoung, is going to kind of see the writing and go, I had a really nice nice season, but are they going to just pick up that option? No, they're going to decline it. Do they see enough in DeYoung to want to sign him to a more reasonable contract in the offseason? Maybe. It's possible. I think it's interesting, too, though, that you look at Brandon Kylie, who uh, put this out today. I guess we're not looking at Brandon Kylie, but we're looking at the tweet that he sent as it pertains to Paul DeYoung and the shortstop market and things of that nature. I'm going to see if I can pull that up. Because a lot of the free agent shortstops that that a lot of us were kind of clamoring for for the Cardinals to say, hey, you know, it might make sense to go uh, to, to go get one of these guys. Those guys have actually not been performing at a very high level this year. And uh, Paul DeYoung actually kind of takes the sweepstakes when it comes to those comparisons. Um, BK, if you can see it on your screen now, he put the tweet up today. And he says, here's Paul DeYoung's numbers with the 770 OPS. Dansby Swanson's at 750. Xander Bogarts, Xander Bogats is at 743. Correa, Carlos Correa at 711. Trey Turner, oh my goodness. A 673 OPS. The power has flat out not been there, and he hasn't been able to get on base uh, at a very high clip either. I mean, those are things that I just didn't really expect when I was saying, yeah, Trey Turner's the best pick on the of the litter this offseason. So, like, the point of all of this and bringing this up is that Paul DeYoung's production relative to what they could have done and gone out and gotten has been actually pretty good. And I don't think anybody thinks he's a bad defensive shortstop. But is he enough to continue to contribute to this logjam? Is he enough to say, Mason Wynn, we're going to keep you down in Memphis for another year if he looks ready? I think he's a really nice player. They shake his hand. If he finishes with the 770 OPS, they shake his hand and say, you're gonna you earned yourself a nice contract somewhere and and you'll be remembered fondly. I just don't think he's necessarily in the fold long term unless he takes a team friendly multi year deal, um, because the the it's just whatever he's gonna be owed for next year under that option is just too much I think for them to pay it. Uh, Mullen says uh, Aaron says if he continues to play every day he's gonna take 450 abs and homer 30 times kind of crazy. And guys can we kind of think back to the fact that my my non bet 
has life where the guy said he was going to Venmo me $1,000 if Paul DeYoung ended up with uh, 400 plate appearances and a 750 OPS because he's like, he's tracking right now. If he just hits a few more bombs, he really might have that OPS. He's at 770. I was a little more worried about the plate appearances, but maybe that's the upside. To, I'm, I'm like literally trying to talk myself out of $1,000 based on the way I say give Dylan Carlson Paul DeYoung's playing time more often than they're doing it, but uh, that's interesting. I guess we'll see. Einstein adding that 450 PA is 30 homers and 50 bucks to Brandon Schaefer. Brother, it wasn't 50 bucks. <laughs> the dude said 1,000. If there was an update, Einstein, on that where he went back on it and said 50, then let me know. But I'm pretty sure he said he was going to send me $1,000. Um, and again, this was not me betting. This was not a bet. This was a dude that uh, I think Sean tweeted at me and said, if as I was talking up Paul DeYoung, he said, if this happens, I'll Venmo you. And sure as shooting, he's kind of in the mix on it right now. Paul DeYoung. I, I got to look at, to see what he's at uh, in terms of plate appearances on the season. Because the OPS, I mean, again, the way he runs randomly into home runs, which is is kind of taking away from what he does. It's not random. But he's a, he's a good mistake pitch hitter, as he's always been. Um, unfortunately, MLB.com does not show plate appearances. But if he's got 170 ABs, how many walks does he have? Only 14, is that right? Paul, come on, brother. Um, so he's closing in on 200 ABs, or 200 PAs, I should say. And yeah, if he gets there by the end of June, then then he'll be tracking for at least 400. I might be in the running on this money. We'll see. Yeah, so the PAs are closer to 185, 190. Uh, Jack's going to send me a buck if Dylan Dinger's again tomorrow. Well, there you go. I'm just, I love the bets where I don't have to say anything. I just get money. That's awesome. Uh, Eric says, I know Mo would hate to do it, but trading for a role as Chapman and one more right-handed reliever would make the bullpen good, and it would help the starters. Yeah, I agree. They won't do it. They'll never trade for a role as Chapman, but you get a stud lefty like that and a stud righty, and now your bullpen goes five deep on guys you trust. That's a playoff contending bullpen, and that's the way I prefer teams to handle their relief core. Don't ever sign a $14 million reliever in the offseason. Don't sign Andrew Miller. Don't sign Greg Holland. Don't sign... You know, Steven Matz. I mean, he, they didn't think he was going to be a reliever. Don't sign Brett Cecil. Wait till the middle of the season, figure out who the good ones are, and then acquire them. I know it costs you, you players, but the only way to know that a reliever is going to be good is to watch him during the season and say, okay, he's good this year. Let's get him. Because next year, that guy's going to turn into a bucket. Like, he's just, you're not even going to be able to rely upon him. That's the nature of relief pitching. It's very fickle. And so don't pay a guy on a multi-year contract. Trade for the good ones. And, you know... Or do what the Royals did and identify short-term value. Like, what was the role as Chapman's contract? Because I can't imagine it was much. I know it was a one-year deal. $3.75 million. Sign, like, a couple of those, and maybe, maybe one of them works out. The other one doesn't. You just cut the guy and trade for the guy to fill his spot. That is the way I would always advocate filling the bullpen every time. Uh, subscribe to the B-Shave Daily Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts please do subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you enjoy daily Cardinals content, I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, but sometimes it, it just takes me asking in a nice voice for you guys to uh, subscribe. So we'd love to have you guys on board. And once again, if you're viewing right now, you haven't subbed, do so, wait 60 seconds, and then say, hey, I'm new in the live chat, and I'll try and find you. Um, Ryan was in support of the Chapman move a month and a half ago. Yeah, I just don't think, I, I just don't think the card, he's, he's a Cardinal kind of guy, you know, with some of the off-field issues he's had in the past. I would I would be surprised. But it from a on field standpoint, as much as it pains me to say it, it does make sense. 
Jared, what's up, man? He says, I'm watching for the beginning, but I'll be watching the live streams in the future for sure. Jared, I want to welcome you. If you get to this late in the pod, thank you for being here, my friend. Uh, Timothy says the camera's back. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was buggy for a little bit there. I was seeing it on my end too. And I just wasn't sure we were going to make it to the other side. Uh, but we did. So I appreciate that. Aaron says, it's almost like the Cardinals were not totally off base during arbitration with Helsley saying you've been good literally once and that he needs to continue to be a solid contributor. Actually, I don't know if he's talking Helsley or Tyler O'Neill at that point with Aaron, but either way, I kind of agree. Um, Helsley, I think, got a little bit of a raw deal because they told him you weren't durable enough after they talk all the time about how they they needed to protect him and, and, and keep him fresh. But I think if you read between the lines on that a little bit, Helsley was asking for a lot of that protection in, in, in the other year. And to his credit, I think this year he really tried to be that more durable more reliable guy, and but 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 then maybe it got him hurt, and so there's kind of a, a little bit of a, a tricky situation on that one. Uh, Ryan, I, I don't want to talk smack on any fellow media folks. I like everybody in town, but I, I see your comment. Um, Rickwood Stadium game is going to be super cool. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Stadium looks like it's it still was in the 40s. I don't know if they'll do any upgrades, Eric, or not, but I'm excited. I really do want to get to Birmingham for that one next year. And uh, as Eric mentioned, we should get the likes up to 50. I know we're at 38 right now. I would settle for 40. Um, probably going to get out of here pretty quick, but I'm trying to scroll to see if anybody's comments I really missed that I haven't gotten to read yet. Uh, Brent was here tonight. What do you think needs to happen to get Wynn called up? He's been on fire lately. As is Ivan Herrera. Yeah, that's a little tricky for Andrew Kisner because I think Andrew Kisner has a lot of value as the backup catcher on this team, but you're not going to carry three catchers, and they signed Wilson Contreras for five years. Like, that was the decision they made. I think they were doing that completely excuse me, completely counting out that Ivan Herrera would be able to to put it together the way that he has. OPS of like 940, I want to say he's got with Memphis right now. So I have no idea what they're going to do with that. They, they cannot option Herrera again next year. And so that could get a little bit dicey. And doesn't it feel like you wish you just had the ability to, and again, I love what Contreras brings. I think he's got great energy. I think he can help out offensively ultimately. But couldn't you look at that and say, man, could they have spent $87.5 million somewhere else if, if they would have known that Herrera was going to turn out to be maybe a, a legit hitter? And, and I think a lot of what they didn't like about him last year was his game presentation and his ability to handle the staff, which is some of the stuff that they were maybe worried about earlier this season with Wilson. But, like, Herrera-Kisner for a couple of years would not have been the worst thing in the world. I really don't think it would have been. And I think you might have gotten a nice little boost offensively. Now they're going to probably – I mean, Herrera's a trade chip. I really think that's possible – um, Andrew Kisner is a trade chip if, if they decide to go that route. But I think you trust in the stability of Kiz and maybe you sell high on the, the offensive production in Memphis from Herrera. I don't know if there's a lot of a market for him out there. They once sold Carson Kelly and got a Paul Goldschmidt in that deal. So it, if he could do something like that again, not saying those deals come around every, every, uh, every year, but I could see Herrera, if he's got the cachet in the eyes of your uh, rival executives, as they always say, then maybe that is a consideration. But yeah, Mason Wynn was the actual question that Brent asked, and I think what has to happen is him to have a spot to play. If DeYoung gets injured tomorrow, Mason Wynn's going to London. <laughs> like, really, I think that's a possibility. If May if Tommy Edmond gets injured, that's a little trickier right now because he's viewed more like an outfielder. That might mean Mo Moises Gomez is going to London or uh, that, that random dude Palacios that they picked up from the Guardians goes to London. He's probably going on the taxi squad regardless. Um, 
Mason win, it really does boil down to me when it comes to uh, his opportunity. Like, will Mason win get a chance to play? It's just you got to have somewhere to put him. I want to look at his numbers. I haven't really seen and kept up. I know his numbers have been going up. He's got a 710 OPS in Memphis. He's hitting 260. It's just about kind of coming into that power. But he's 21 years old. He's playing at a triple-A level and is really holding his own. Seven homers, 13 steals. I assume a Sterling defensive shortstop. I know they put him at second. They kind of move him around because they know it may need to be the case that he plays in a little bit of a different area every day if he were to get the call. Um, I think he. I think he'll be up before you know it. It's just it may take an injury in the middle infield this year to have it happen before like September. Um, but the more he can knock on the door with consistent offense, I think the more he will be unignorable for this Cardinals front office in making that decision. Uh, CJ correcting me perhaps and saying that uh, Dakota Hudson pitched very well tonight for the Memphis Redbirds. So maybe I do need to pull that up and, and see what, what his numbers ended up being. Uh, Cardinals, the Redbirds won 8-5 to five tonight. Dakota did pick up the win. His ERA is around 5.5, so that's a little rough. Uh, let's see here. Mason Wynn had a nice game. Couple of runs scored. Uh, Yepi still down there. Moise Gomez, did he go yard tonight? No, but he did have a, tr- uh, a base hit. Let's see here. We're going to find the Dakota stats. Five innings, two runs, eight Ks, and a, that home run that that was allowed that I had that I had mentioned previously. So maybe not as bad as I had, had feared for Dakota. If I want to do, how do I pull this up? There we go. We're getting it figured out. We'll show Dakota's stats on the screen for everybody. That's fine. We've lost the data again, though. Excellent connection. Just stick with me for 10 more minutes, YouTube. That's all I ask. There's Dakota Hudson. I think it doesn't like when we continue to add things and add windows. I need a new computer. I know it. Uh, So, yeah, decent for Dakota. There's a world in which the Cardinals look at it next year and say, well, Dakota Hudson, we've still got him because I think he's – retroactively going to be super two eligible and he'll be still with the Cardinals and, and, and have another year kick that cane down the road for free agency. But I mean, the five and a half ERA in Memphis is kind of a bummer to think, yeah, they're going to give him a rotation spot next year. That would tell me the rotation is, you know, maybe I don't know if it'll be better or worse next year, but if you had Hudson as one of your five, and you had Steven Matz as one of your five, or if those guys were both part of your five next year after Flaherty, Montgomery and, and Wainwright leave, you're cheaping out as an organization. I do think they need at least one bonafide dude to add to Michaelis. And then you can have a lot of those other guys compete, Libertor included, maybe Graceffo, maybe McGreevy included. Uh, Matt's, I, I guess, can compete. But I think if you go that route with too many of those spots for next year, the front office is going to have the money. Ownership is going to have the money. But I'm rooting for Dakota Hudson. I like Dakota Hudson. It's just we haven't seen the consistency from him. Brent says if Edmund is going to become an everyday outfielder, does that shift how the team views Dylan and Donnie at the deadline? The, the way they view Donnie is he's untouchable. I can tell you that right now. And yes, it might shift the way they view Dylan, though. I think that's a possibility. They they might view him as, hey, everybody out there, do you like this guy? Okay, he's a little more expendable on our end. We're not going to tell you that. But we'll we'll trade him for you if you give us what we want in the, in the way of a, a good pitcher. That's possible. BN says, look at Gorman's minor league numbers and scouting reports. He is what you see and uh, not as fast as DeYoung. Well, I mean, DeYoung's a shortstop. Gorman's a second baseman, so that's not really the same thing. But, yeah, he's going to be kind of a streaky hitter. I think it's it's possible. Uh, Eric says that Gorman's just too young to be a known. Yeah, we don't know for sure what he is, so I think that's a possibility as well. 
Um, DeYoung has been very good defensively. I think that's worth pointing out, and Aaron has done so. He's always been good there. And uh, for what it's worth, the home runs, he's on a good pace on those. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's been legitimate for him with what he's been able to do defense-offense. Yeah, we know we'll get to 200, Allison. No concern on my part about that. He's at 198. He's not going to be benched anytime soon. And he had one of his better starts. Finally had a, a quality start over the weekend in New York. So, yeah, Wayno will get to 200. Barring injury, he'll get there. CJ wants to lock up Monty for three to five years. I am skeptical over whether that will happen. I think he's going to go to the highest bidder in the offseason. And uh, being a Boris guy, is I, I believe he's a Boris guy, right? I think that's going to be tricky. Do I think with travel, with the London series affecting the team once they get back, it could, Allison, because I think they only have one day off in the aftermath of the London series. But I think ultimately the fact that they get two days on the front end, one day on the back end, it could be a little bit interesting to see how flat or 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 on top of things they look coming into the Astros series that follows there, that first game at Bush uh, early that, that next week. I think that's on a Tuesday. But all in all, I guess it's a possibility, but it's hard to, to speculate about it, a, a ton about that. Eric also wants three to four years with Montgomery. I think Montgomery could could probably get five to six years on the open market. Um, but I like what he brings, too. I just don't know if being a Boris client, if it's going to be in the cards. Um, he talked as though he wishes that, you know, he was kind of upset about the fact that they didn't get anything done before the season. Not upset, but he said, well, we didn't do it. They didn't offer before the season, so we're just going to let it go to the end, which is, is you know, fine. I don't know what else he was would be supposed to say about that. But. Was he actually mad? Was he? I don't know. I think he was going to probably try to test free agency anyway. That's what Boris wants a lot of his guys always to do. Joshua chiming in. You commented on this on Twitter already, he says, but I'd be interested to hear the talk more about the 2024 team should be better um, so they aren't trading Goldie and Arenado. Well, I mean, I think they've underachieved to this point. You look at run differential. Isn't that a factor in uh, kind of where things have been? I want to say... So let me just kind of pull up the standings if I can here because I, I believe that run differential is usually included on that page for MLB.com. A lot of the, the metrics, and and I think, Joshua, you're somebody that subscribes to a lot of these different kind of underlying numbers, would tell you that the Cardinals should not be 12 games below based on a lot of different aspects. Okay, they're negative run differential by seven, but... That's way better than the Pirates. It's better than Milwaukee. It's better than Cincy. Somehow the Cubs have a plus 21. But I would say that I, I just don't think, first of all, the Cardinals are as bad as they've played. Um, I think their record in one-run games, I may not be able to pull that up on this, but that's been a huge factor in the struggles. And it's kind of, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that's a sign you got a bad manager or underperforming players. And I'd say you're probably right about the under underperforming aspect. But to be 8-16 and 16 in one-run games, man, the Cardinals are a good team. I still believe that they've got a lot of good players. In tw- in those 24 one-run one run games, they should at least be 12-12. 12 and 12. Like, that's just like a median expectation, in my opinion. So if they're 12-12, 12 and 12, okay, now suddenly their record is 35-39. and 39. And we're not looking at this team like the sky is falling and like they stink. Um, I came into this season thinking the Cardinals were the best and most talented team in the Central. I still think that on paper they might have the most talent in the Central. But we haven't seen enough of their players, and this was the terminology I used all offseason. Will these guys that you pencil into their lineup meet their median expectation for their season? I would say Donovan right now, just a snapshot with those numbers, is doing that. D. 
the young certainly is doing that. Carlson after tonight is doing that. Before tonight, I would have said no. Newt Bar, I would say not quite, but he'll get there. Walker certainly meeting median expectation. Contreras, absolutely not, and he was the most important player of their offseason. So that's a big, big mark where I feel like when he gets it back, and he probably should, he's still in his prime ages, and he's never been this bad before. I think you can probably count on Contreras being a better contributor, and that's it's going to be really interesting. I mean, you're going to notice how much longer the lineup looks when he's chipping in for a 750, 760 OPS like he should be. Arenado, no, I would say he's not quite met his median expectation, but he could get there. And at times, you know, a week ago, it, it looked like he was, but he needs to be more like 850 OPS. Goldschmidt, sure, he's he's meeting it. And Edmund, he's coming close. So it's not looking as bad as it had been, but these guys are kind of bunching this up in, in spurts where really, really bad, nobody's hitting, oh, everybody's hitting, life's good again. But there are some key configurations here of guys and, and Tyler O'Neill is a huge glaring one that is not meeting that median expectation and he was gifted the center field job to start the season so when you look at the the losing this team has done I'm not pinning it all on that guy's shoulder and he's hurt but he has like a 620 OPS and is, is absolutely underperformed what they thought they were going to get out of him and Contreras those are two two huge ones uh, and then you look at the rotation Monty yeah I think he's to the point where you would say he's he's hitting on that median expectation but elsewhere in the rotation, I think it's going to be a whole lot of negative ghostwriter in terms of do I believe these guys have, have panned out to kind of the median expectation that I would have for their performance this year. Because I thought on paper they had enough guys to where, you know, if, if enough of them just hit on what, what would be kind of the mid-level expectation. Montgomery has. Michaelis hasn't. He's a, he's a sub-4 ERA guy for sure. Jack Flaherty absolutely has not. At a 4.95 ERA, uh, he just has to be more consistent than he's been. And we'll go to all players so that we don't just get to look at the guys who have qualified. Um, Helsley? No, probably not. And not not healthy. That hurts you. Geo? Yeah, it has been about that. Hicks? About that. Stratton, Palante? They're right about that. But if that's the case, none of those guys are super exciting, right? Uh, I already said Michaelis was a no Cabrera has fallen short. Steven Matz, woefully short. He's knocked out of the rotation for good reason. Wayne Wright, woefully short. So, uh, in Libertor, I thought he would, would be able to do more than what he's brought with a 6 ERA and, and maybe still will be. But that's kind of the way I look at it with a lot of these guys. And, and maybe offensively, I, I don't know if there's anything that I've really been missing. Um, guys based on injury. Gorman was not in the lineup today. And I would say, yeah, he actually has hit on that median expectation, but just barely. Um, so like the, Josh, to answer your question, man, like I, I just, I have more faith in the players than what a lot of them have put out. And I think when I'm looking at these numbers offensively and the guys that I expect, like the guys that have fallen short, new bar, a little bit short, Wilson Contreras, woefully short. I expect both those guys to be better. I don't expect a lot of O'Neill, but I think they've got other ways to cover for that. And so you know, that's kind of where it comes from for me is you got two, at least two guys that were were supposed to be two of your best, I would say five to six players offensively this year that have been two of your worst. One of them, I'm talking O'Neill and Contreras. One of them, Contreras, I expect to kind of round into form. The other one, they may trade him, They may, you know, whatever may happen with Tyler at this point. I'll, I'll be rooting for him, but it's been a, a tough go of it for him the last couple of years. 
So that's part of it with me where I just think this team's better than they showed. I think they've they've been very fluky in the one-run losses. That's contributed to it as well. And I I think they were a little short-sighted in the way they approached the pitching situation. Do I have more faith than I should in the notion that this front office can can fix the pitching by trading for somebody and maybe signing somebody else, signing the right guy? Like, they need to find the Nate Evaldi of this upcoming offseason and sign him. I don't know what Evaldi's contract was. Uh, I guess I could try and Google that real quickly. Two-year, $34 million. So it's not like the Rangers spent nothing on Evaldi. Is that right? Because I saw December 2021. If that was what it was. No, that's right. I think that's accurate. They signed him in December. So, like, they got to find and spend effectively on those guys. You spent $17 million this offseason on Adam Wainwright, and, and Evaldi signed for the same amount and has been really sharp. Has Wainwright been sharp? No. Could he get better? You, you better hope so. But was there any world in which I would have said don't sign Adam Wainwright? No, I, I really thought that signing Wainwright was an important aspect of closing the circle, cardinal career. Like, there's a lot of reasons to, to keep him and, and don't make it about the money. But has that had an impact somewhat? Yeah, sure, because he hasn't lived up to expectations yet. But it's a long answer, Josh, but I really feel like you're not trading Goldie and Arnato because I do think this team should expect to say, where are we deficient in this offseason? Let's say they win 79 games. That wouldn't be great, but they would be able to overhaul what has been an inconsistent pitching staff. Wainwright has struggled. And if he looks better by the end of the season, you're going to win more than those 79 games. Jack Flaherty has been a, a drag on the team. I mean, he's got a 4.95 ERA. He could absolutely be a plus by the end of the season. But for right now, you just can look at what the numbers are and say he's pitching more like a number four or, or you know number five, and they need him to be the number one. So you want to talk about the the margins and the the reason this team is where they are instead of where they should be. I don't think it's that difficult. I can chalk it up to about four things. One, the the record in one run games, which I think is fluky. Two. Jack Flaherty needed to, how many times in the offseason did we say Jack Flaherty developing back into that number one would be a key to this offseason and a key to the 2023 campaign? He hasn't done it consistently. His ERA is 495. I give him credit for the way he battled through in his last start after a really rough first two innings against the Nationals, but his numbers are his numbers. And so that's number one. Tyler O'Neill falling woefully short is number two. Wilson Contreras falling woefully short to this this point as number three. And I would even put Wilson maybe at the top. It's definitely more than it's more detrimental than what O'Neill has been because they do have other options in the outfield. They're throwing Tommy Ebb in there as proof. Uh, but those three things, those are really the four things. The, the three players, uh, Contreras, Flaherty, O'Neill in that order, and the one-run game record. I mean, if you're just average, they're right in the mix in the NL Central, and they haven't been. They've been they're 8-16, and 16, one of the worst records in one-run games in the league. So knowing that they needed to have done more to address the pitching, knowing what the constraints were of, hey, Adam Wainwright's going to be one of your five, whether he should be or not, and I think he should have been. I think he can still pitch better than he has. He looked good against the Mets, and so I'm not counting him as a drag, but he's been a drag so far. If your ERA is 5.5, your ERA is 5.5. And, and so I look at the fact that whether you think Wainwright and Flaherty are going to turn things around or not doesn't really matter they have a chance in the offseason to fill those two spots with better options, more consistent options. Um, whether that ends up being Wainwright coming back himself because he ends up with a 3.9 ERA after just going hog wild the rest of the year. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying if you're just removing one guy from a spot and saying who can we pluck in here, 
there's opportunity to fix the pitching, in my opinion, compared to what has caused them to get into this spot in the first place. Uh, Steven Matz is another example. If I was going to add another name, like he was given that rotation spot and fell woefully short. So now we're up to four to five guys that have fallen really short of their expectations. About 60% of the rotation it applies to. And, you know, you can kind of look in the bullpen and say, yeah, we kind of knew who the bullpen was going to be. And largely they've been just fine near expectations, but nothing special, not anything that was going to take this unit and put it over the top as a roster. So, that's what it is to me. The Cardinals should be right around 500 right now with the way they've played, and it would feel a lot differently than it does. But it is what it is. But that's what I'm looking at. I mean, you're talking about 25 or 20% of the roster falling woefully short. That's how they've gotten where they are. Combine that with the one-run games, it's a problem. But if I compare that to what I expect for next year, I, I think I'm I'm still going to buy into this team as long as they invest in pitching in a better way. Uh, and it doesn't mean necessarily spend more money. You spent 17 mil on Wayno, 10 on Monty, five or six on Flaherty. Spend that 32 better next year. Don't you don't have to spend more. You should spend 40 instead of 32 on those three spots. Whatever it is that you do, be effective with it. I think is what what the Cardinals really would need to do. And if they do that, I think I, I do think it can make a difference. Give me one moment for a drink of water. I'll be right back. Uh, let's see. Anthony has jumped in. Yeah, Josh, appreciate it, man. Appreciate you you hanging around for that answer too. Anthony is so sick of hearing <laughs> if Jack is Jack because he hasn't been Jack in four years. At some point, we got to acknowledge the guy is not him. He's just a guy. This is the point, Anthony, my man. Like, he's going to be gone after this year. The Cardinals are not bringing him back. He could have a great finish to the season. He won't be a Cardinal next year. Um, I, I don't mean that to be derogatory or inflammatory. I think the Cardinals have been getting a little bit weary of that with Flaherty as well. And it's like even when... We have a positive thing to say, like from yesterday when it was five. I mean, he was getting shelled the first two innings. I I tweeted it, and then I'm made to feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that because Flaherty did settle down nice. No, don't Stockholm Syndrome me. He had six earned runs that he gave up. That's, in what universe is that really going to get the job done? But the fact that he got through six and a third innings is part of the reason they won the game. So you kind of have that internal battle when you're thinking of how, how critical you really want to be. It's better that he was able to grit out an, uh, an outing and, and get through six and a third. It helps the bullpen, certainly. But yeah, like they've been waiting for Jack to be the consistent stud. I think there will come a day when he becomes that guy. I still have faith in it. It will not be with the Cardinals. I think it's going to be after he moves on. And sometimes a, a fresh start, and it doesn't have to be anybody's fault, but sometimes a fresh start can open your eyes to things, can allow you to kind of lock in on certain things. And I think that feels rather predictable at this point, that Flaherty's going to go somewhere and and he's going to replicate some of the greatness that we saw from him in, in years past. Right now, it's just fits and starts of it, and we haven't been able to see it consistently from him. Um, you know, I he, he he's far better than anything I could ever do on a pitching mound, but I think everybody had elevated their expectations because they saw what he could do, and they were just saying, oh, man, could he get back to that? And then it was health. For a long time, it was because of health that he wasn't able to do so. And now it's like he's, he seems very healthy, and it's just he he has those moments where you see it flicker, and then it kind of fades, and then it's back in. It's just been kind of tricky for Jack to be able to find it consistently. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that he's he, you're going to have to live with the highs and lows of Jack Flaherty at this point, but I bet he goes somewhere else and is great next year. Um, let's see. 
Trying to scroll back up. CJ seems like Mosaic Jr. I got to see what CJ ended up uh, seeing. He said, uh, Graceffo, Michaelis, Monty, McGreevy, and Libertor or Woodford. We've got Jake Woodford getting some love. Um, folks are telling CJ, hell no, with that expectation. Michaelis is correct. I don't think Montgomery will be around. He's a Boris client. I like McGreevy. I think he's got got chops. Uh, Graceffo, I, I like as well, but I don't know if he's ready. I just don't think you can fill your rotation with that amount of question marks by 2025. Um, you got to add someone that you know is a bona fide to go with Michaelis, uh, and then you can hope that Libby, McGreevy, Graceffo, maybe one of those guys can turn out, but to think that too many of them would, it's it might be wishful thinking. The Cardinals haven't developed to that level in recent years, so we'll see. Um, Tim Kentz is in the conversation, though, for 2025. That's true. Um Matt's, I guess, technically is under contract still. Hudson Woodford. People are not liking CJ's suggestions. He's basically just giving everybody that's already been on the team that has kind of not succeeded in, in a lot of ways and saying that's going to be the future rotation. CJ does seem to be high on Graceffo, though, so that's nice. Aaron acknowledging the expected win-loss for the Central is hilarious. Yeah, it's it's not matched. Um, Anthony is chiming in. What's up, man? He wants to see a couple starters signed. And says, if all due respect, you want a rotation of Graceffo, McGreevy, Matts, Miles, and Libby, you are on your own, brother. <laughs> uh, I love the uh, the poetic way that Anthony uh, nicely puts that down. Although he then goes on to say some some profanities. But he says it's respectfully effing awful. Respectfully. And I like that we're keeping it respectful in the comments. Um, but CJ, you may be alone in wanting that rotation Again, some of those young prospects would say, hey, give me the ball. Give me a chance. But I think relying on too many of those guys is is where the Cardinals, they would be rightfully accused of kind of cheaping out. But at the same time, I do think there's a world in which if some of those guys that are prospects that we don't really, as a, I think the fan base doesn't fully believe in or buy into yet, if they pan out at some point, that ends up being the saving grace of this organization because they need some of those young uh Oh, man. I don't know if you guys have been hearing me there for a little while. <laughs> That's rough. If it's been on B-Shape Daily Live and you haven't been hearing the entire conversation of the uh, of talking about the rotation, I apologize for that. That's a little bit rough. Uh, we had everybody chiming in on CJ's thoughts on the rotation. I had the microphone turned off, I think, for a little bit, so I apologize about that. Uh, Anthony had been chiming in. They keep signing three mid-tier starters for the price of one great guy and banking on mid-tier guys to outperform their contracts. It's not a good recipe. I agree with that. And I agree with looking at at CJ's rotation that he put on there and saying, all these young guys are going to pan out and it's going to be great. You guys are going to have to listen to the Spotify version of the podcast because I was on one for like five minutes reacting to everything. And I think I completely blundered it. And y'all missed it. But uh, nevertheless, I think to rely on that rotation would be an example of the Cardinals cheaping out. And CJ was hyping up guys like Mats and Woodford and Graceffo and McGreevy and Libertor. And uh, in some ways, it's all prospects. And a lot of the guys that people have already looked at and said, yeah, I don't know. Thanks, but no thanks with the way those guys have been pitching. Like, I, I don't think Jake Woodford's part of any 2025 rotation. I really don't. But, uh, it's funny, Eric thought the baby woke up. No, it was just me effing up. So I apologize for that one, guys. 
Um, but I'll keep reading some of these comments. I'm not going to go through the entire thing again. Uh, that'll force you to subscribe to Spotify maybe because uh, the Spotify audio is going to be pure the entire way through on some of that. Um, but this has been an adventure. Anthony says, if the market goes up, the Cardinals have to adjust. Can't keep settling for mid-tier BS. It turns into bad contracts like Steven Matz. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I wanted to comment on the live chat so people knew I was still here, but it may end up being that they're like, nah, I'm, I'm going to bed. Everybody, everybody's like, what the hell happened? Um, I think there has to be some degree of going for those mid-tier contracts. Like if you count Nate Evaldi as a mid-tier contract, two years, $17 million per year, then there's maybe a, a possibility that you're right, that, that mid-tier contracts can pan out. But if they're going for like the 5 million and the 8 million, there's the market for those guys and the hit rate on those guys is going to be pretty low. But the Cardinals don't seem to identify the Evaldi's, do they? Like with Michaelis, they did, but that was from overseas. That was a very specific situation. Um, I don't know who they go out and sign for $17 million this offseason. But I wouldn't say that's mid-tier. I would say like they're at least throwing some money at it. You could look at a lot of the 30 million, 40 million guys that signed this past offseason, and they're all hurt or not performing. And and I think John Moselak tried to kind of use that as an excuse of what they of why it was okay that they didn't go out and get pitching. I think it's just a matter of you need to get the right pitching. And uh and they they haven't done that. They haven't done that to this point, and it's it's kind of harmed them. Now again, you could make the case that the Jordan Montgomery trade ends up working out. Right, like Jordan Montgomery looks like he was a a good fit for them last year, good fit for them this year so far. Three six nine ERA, I think that's tops in the rotation at this point. And so, do you end up viewing that as a good trade, even if you know they don't re-sign him because Harrison Bader was going to be gone, I think, after this year anyway. He's going to be a free agent as well, and they were able to cobble together a, a good year and a half from a, a guy in their rotation with Jordan Montgomery. I think that would be a, a considered a win. Sometimes it's okay to dip into the bargain bin, but you have to be effective when you do it, and you can't do it every time. And I think that's where Cardinals fans are frustrated with the pitching because it seems like in the last couple of years, it's always been, well, at the deadline, how far into the bargain bin can we go? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's been consistent. It's every July they're looking at those, those, those you know, kind of low-hanging fruit trades, and at the end of the day, I just don't know how many years you can consider that to be a sustainable way to handle it. Anthony says, be safe. We know he was never in the market for pitching this offseason. He said it two times. Now we try to walk it back. And I'm not saying every mid-tier guy is bad, but you can't do it every time. Yeah, and that's crazy that you commented that and the, the, the comments are on like a five-minute delay. He says, I mean, we got Jay Happ and John Lester at such old ages. And they worked for that year, but you can't. I agree with you, Anthony. It's not sustainable to every year. Have it be that way and have it just be a scenario where you just kind of hope and pray that the stop gaps and the bubble gum and the, you know, the the paper clips that you're putting into the rotation can keep helping you out. At one point, I would like to see Mosellock either this July solve the rotation for the next couple of years with a guy that you stick around by trading for him in July or do it in the offseason, but not not always have it be. Well, we're desperate for innings in July. Who do we trade for to just save us for two more months? That's kind of been the blueprint. And outside of the Montgomery trade, which, again, I, I say is a good one because they at least were looking one year ahead with that. Um, but can they can they pull a rabbit out of the hat and identify the next guy that they can they can get that done with and then maybe extend that guy before it gets to 
yeah, you know, his free agency is so close. He's just going to test it. That's the that's the trick there. Uh, Two-year deal, super safe, especially at the price point. Yeah, Evaldi, who's the next Evaldi? That's what they got to identify. And, and yeah, it's been that, that way the past three years. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if they're able to change the narrative on that. That's the part of the model that I think has to change. But you guys are all poo-pooing on CJ's rotation. I do think if the Cardinals are going to get the rotation they want, just spending for it every single time is also not a winning recipe because pitchers do get hurt. And oftentimes, even the good ones can get hurt, and it ends up being money not well spent. So if McGreevy or Graceffo or Libertor, like, get one of those guys to pan out, develop somebody. I know it's a crazy thought, but that would be something that helps the Cardinals in the long run, too. So we'll see if they're ever able to do it again, but who knows. CJ is still, man, he's he's fighting the good fight. Says it did work out with a depleted rotation. Lester and Hap saved their season. And they, they did, as did Wade LeBlanc before his injury. So that's kind of crazy. Uh, Jack loves that Libby is getting innings. Uh, I know he's going to figure it out. Yeah, I think you got to give him another three, four weeks. And then if it's not working out, you might have to make a trade for another one of those stopgap guys. Um, but Libby could have a bad year this year and could still end up pitching well again in the future. But it's kind of like sink or swim time, I think, for Matthew Libertor in many ways. We'll see. Uh, this is not a Rockies hat. It's a great question. I, I won't tell you what kind of hat it is, though. It's a secret. That's the deal with the backwards hats all the time. You just got to guess. But I will say it's not a Rockies hat. You got your one guess, corn, and you missed it. Uh, um, but that's fun. I like people wondering that. Does it have like a, a baseball hat logo on it to make you think it's baseball? I don't know what, what I'm actually showing here. Uh, Timothy says the best thing about the last couple games has been the ability to get shut down innings and the ability to score after getting scored on. That's what it's been lacking for this Cardinals team, isn't it? The notion of like, can all of these elements of the team work together on the same night? Offense, defense, special teams, not special teams, starting pitching, bullpen pitching, uh, base running, which they had a nice double steal today that we talked about. That's really what it boils down to. Desk is saying hello. Desk, I think you're brand new. Uh, Like you, Desk. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I think that's a great point that Timothy brought on. They finally got into a spot where they're contributing and and working in conjunction with one another. Hey, tonight you don't have the best, uh, you know, the best bullpen with a couple of guys that came in. Didn't matter. We gave you lots of runs and the rotation got seven innings. So it, it you're all kind of working in cohesion, I think is a great way to put it. They do need to sweep Washington corn. You're right about that. Does Dylan become a lefty pitching starter only? That's from Chad. Yeah, I mean, if DeYoung's going to keep playing a lot, it, it honestly might depend more about Gorman because Gorman is a guy that's not going to play against lefties and so easier to get guys like DeYoung, which he's been playing anyway, but guys like Carlson in there as well. Um, and if Tommy Edmond is hitting, you're going to play him every day too. So, yeah, I kind of could see it, Chad. I, I think Dylan could be a, a platoon bat even though – Prior to today, he had better power numbers against righties, actually. That's obviously flipped now after a two-home run game, but still. Kevin said the fact that they kept adding on as the game went on is such a good time for the, for where this team could be hitting. Could not agree more with that. That's a great point. Um, and I think uh, Blue Jays Rock 6 is asking about Gorman or a Walker jersey first. Um, Walker is probably the play, but, I mean, Gorman, don't count out Gorman completely just yet. I don't think he's just going to completely fade into the ether, but he's got to he's got to find that swing back and, and get back on a hot streak for sure. Anthony would love to see them actually target Aaron Nola and Blake Snell this offseason. 
would be top three with Miles. Yeah, it would, but I mean, you got to hope those guys stay healthy because if they don't, that's how you end up like the 2012 to 15 Phillies when all their old guys kind of got old at once. And then you spend some more money on some guys who are going to be old as well and some pitchers. And if they get hurt, Bill DeWitt's money is not going to stretch as thin as you'd hope that it would. Um, but yeah, you got to identify the right pitchers that you pay. You could pay pitchers, but you got to pay the right ones. Eric saying, looking at the starting pitching options, Eduardo Rodriguez has been good. Uh, Stroman should be good again. Uh, is he going to be available too? I, I guess maybe he only signed a short-term deal. Uh, shout out to the random Kwon Young Kim, July 21, when he was randomly the best pitcher in MLB. Uh, that's from the grave of Einstein. I remember those times. Those were good times. <laughs> I think I was I was covering one of those uh, games he pitched at Wrigley, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they got to develop as well, but I'm not going with a, a three or four younger guys in the rotation for next year. Anthony, you're right about that. Uh, CJ's original comment, though, was about the 2025 rotation, in fairness. But I agree. You can't just go with unprovens in the rotation. But by 2025, maybe the Cardinals are lucky enough that a lot of those unprovens end up being, well, better and, and more proven. Uh, Sandy Alcantara has been terrible lately. Now we're talking uh, about the Alcantara situation. He was a mid-level prospect, according to Aaron, which is true. Uh, the Cardinals looked, I think they had Flaherty above him. I think they had Dakota Hudson above him. Um, and and ultimately, you know, the Hudson one, I think, is is a whiff. But they, I don't, I just don't think they viewed Sandy as that frontline guy. And they also said, well, he's got value, and it takes value to get value, and we need an outfielder, and they settled on Ozuna, which obviously was regrettable. But Aaron says, acting like we all knew that he was going to win the Cy Young is foolish. Um, at the time, the move was not crazy. And I agree, the time at the time, the move was not crazy. But it sucks that Sandy won the Cy Young last year, and Zach Gallen very well may win it this year. So, yeah. Eric says, Ryan, you can't sit here and say you were against trading Gallon when no one knew who he was. Legit prospect when traded, and he wasn't a legit prospect when traded. Yeah, it's true. It was a miss, but it was just one of those that it's inex inexplicable. Julio Urias is a free agent as well, but they'll never target him. Uh, doesn't give up Cardinal vibes. I mean, he's kind of been injured a, a lot recently too. Um, there's zero reason to go after Ozuna. That's not really true. He had a lot of home runs, but I knew it. I kind of knew it at the time, man. I was like, if you go for it, go get Yelich. And then I said, when they got Ozuna, I was like, that's great. They didn't give up any of their top prospects. Now go make one more move, one more big signing. And they never did that second thing to get him over the hump. And then everything kind of fizzled from there. All right, we're kind of getting into the uh, the hodgepodge. It's, it's past 1 a.m. I am going to wrap this thing up here. If you guys wanted to really hear me laughing my ass off about CJ's rotation and the the, the reaction y'all had to it, scroll into the YouTube live stream when you rewatch it. Actually, you can't because you won't hear it. You got to you got to subscribe on Spotify and and just scroll to it because uh, where there's like a five minute gap. On YouTube, there won't be a gap on Spotify because I had the the audio rolling the whole time. I don't know what happened. I forgot to click back onto uh, the, the main screen, and so YouTube missed a lot of that, I think. But it was worth checking out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel before you get out of here. Appreciate you guys, as always. Thank you to those who participated in the Super Chat tonight. Uh, that was a lot of fun as well. We'll be back here pretty soon with another live stream, uh, but the podcast on B-Shape Daily will roll regardless. So, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following Be Shafe Daily over there. And uh, the podcasts are posted to YouTube as well. So thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, appreciate you guys sticking through a little bit of the technical difficulties that I had tonight. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily Live. Peace.